Hey guys, welcome to The View from the Front. My name is Stan and this is the December 28th edition. Hope everyone's doing amazing out there from wherever you guys are joining us. I had an amazing Christmas. I hope you guys did too. I got to see lots of family and friends. You know, I was a little nervous about the Christmas with my dad without my mom being there. As you guys know, I had a tough 2023, uh, losing my mom to cancer. And so I was a little nervous about Christmas with my dad, but my sister and I and our families came together and managed to make it as good as possible, even played a board game. And so, you know, we made the best of it. So I had a great Christmas. Hope you guys did too. I will say about the only bad thing that happened through this past week since the last episode for me is that the... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bear with me. I told my wife I was going to say a joke, and she couldn't even believe that I would attempt a joke because I am terrible at jokes. But anyway, the only bad thing that happened since the past week is that the Washington Post released its top 10 books of 2023. And as you guys know, I did publish a book in 2023, but of course, fell a little short of making the mark, and I fell a little short of landing the joke because (laughs) I picked... I seriously cannot tell a joke to save my life. And I had like this really lame joke written out. And I just bombed it. I knew I would. She knew I would. She was right, as usual. Anyway, we got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. Can't wait to get into it. And in fact, we will have uh, a list of like, I can't remember if I got seven or eight really good things that happened in 2023. Because I know it was a pretty challenging year for a lot of folks especially with the economic stuff and the political division and all the other stuff that I could talk about, which I won't. But we'll definitely get into that. And then, um, obviously, there's a lot of news that happened for what should have been a quiet week, but there was actually quite a bit happened. If this is the first time you've joined us, welcome. Uh, A little bit about myself. I spent four years in the Marine Corps, all that time in the infantry. After my enlistment, I exited military service earned a print journalism degree, and spent more than 10 years in the news business. And besides all of that, I've written 12 books. They are mostly action thrillers, and they're about mostly military or law enforcement. So you can definitely call me a wannabe Tom Clancy. Uh, Every episode, I do three things. I cover hot spots happening around the world. I try, try to help unite the nation, and I share a little bit of motivation and wisdom at the end of each show, as well as a little bit about PTSD. So I always reiterate why I do this every week, because I'm trying to help get across a few points, which is, I guess I'm trying to mold the consciousness of those who listen. But I cover hotspots around the world, trying to provide a smart and sophisticated look at foreign policy. And I try to do it without fear-based stuff or clickbait material. And there's several reasons I do this. First of all, Americans are terrible at geography. Secondly, we have like this gap in our news media that they rarely cover foreign policy. And when they do, it's already a crisis and it's too late. And then, you know, they run the flashing graphics of how bad will it be, how many will die, et cetera, et cetera. It's too late at that point. Uh, So we, you know, we typically get involved in wars before we know what we're doing or why we're doing or why we're even doing it. So that matters a lot to me. So. Part of what I want to do is teach people to try to develop a love for keeping up a foreign policy because we really do take what we have in America for granted. And, you know, if you had any idea how fast other governments can collapse or start to lapse into like authoritarian regimes, 
we would be way more involved in our own civic duties. So the second broader thing I try to do every episode is unite the country. I mentioned that. So I try not to name call on any Republicans, Democrats, etc. Try my best not to put either side down. I try to be calm. I try to be optimistic. We all get way too much negative news. And, you know, gotta gotta keep it positive. And, you know, in the end, as far as uniting the country, we always we have to love our neighbor. And it's not only biblical, it's common sense. And it's the only way we're going to hold this together. So, uh, and then finally, I always share some encouragement. At the end of every single episode, we all see too much negative stuff. So I want to do my best to add some positivity and encouragement in your life. So if if this is the first time you've joined us, you've already learned a lot about me, including the fact that I cannot tell a joke. But I'm a nice guy, and most people seem to like me. So thanks for joining us, and we'll we'll start with that list. Okay, as I was saying, this list comes actually from the Washington Post. And I think they had 23 things to celebrate for 2023. Like I said earlier, you know, I had a rough year losing my mom. Been through a lot emotionally, spiritually, physically, all that stuff. So it's been a tough year, but back on my feet. But I definitely wanted to share this list. And like I said, the original list had like 23 items. But it had everything from like Taylor Swift to stuff about movies that dropped and just, I mean, honestly, if you're looking for updates on Taylor Swift, you're probably on the wrong podcast. But from that list of the Washington Post, I had eight that I wanted to share. And I want to say again, I I feel like I say this probably once or twice a month, but for your bang for your buck, like a subscription to the Washington Post is worth like every single penny. Most of the time you can find one for like $7.99 or $8.99 a month. And I feel like it's balanced. It's good stuff. They do plenty of updates. Most of the articles, if not all of them, you can hit play and it'll do audio. So it'll read the article to you. If you're like me and busy and you're having to take the dog out for the eighth time that day. um, It's nice to have that feature. So here are eight things from 2023. (laughs) That should make you smile. First one you probably forgot about. But egg prices are back down to $2 a dozen. And, you know, if you remember correctly, at one point they were like 4 bucks. In California they were 7 bucks. But inflation cooled down a bit. And then the uh, avian flu receded. So, yeah, we finally got eggs where we can afford them at a nice price again. <laughs> Second thing. The hole in the ozone is shrinking and it's on track to recover to the level it was in 1980 by about 1950. So give it 30 more years. But at least, I mean, that's good news. Number three, the U.S. government did not shut down, although it did threaten to do so a couple of times. But at least for the moment, not shut down. That was good. Number four, this is a foreign policy one. President Biden met with the president of China, Xi Jinping, it was a, as the Washington Post described it, a handshake scene around the world. They hadn't seen each other in quite a while. There had been a lot of tension, obviously, in Taiwan. We had the balloon incident, which we eventually shot down once it hit the coast. So we went from shooting down balloons to we at least shook hands. So that's a start, right? Number five, maybe I, maybe I should have moved this one up, honestly, but Ukraine remains an independent country. And, unfortunately for Vladimir Putin, Finland joined NATO, and 
that was kind of a big deal. And besides Finland, there was also, and apologize, let me glance at my notes here. Oh, Sweden, that's right. I thought it was Sweden, but I was like, ah, why am I completely losing it in my mind? But yes, yeah, so Sweden is on the pack path to join as well. It's being held up by our good friends in Turkey. And for the long-time listeners, you know why I'm saying that. I am not the biggest fan of Erdogan, the leader of Turkey. And Hungary is not helping things either. And I'm not a fan of him, Viktor Orban, either. So, eh. But, slowly but surely, the two are being um, bribed, I mean, sweet-talked by the U.S. and NATO to do what they ought to do. But, hey, sometimes you gotta, you gotta... You gotta share gifts, I guess, to uh, make things happen. Okay, number six. The U.S. experienced an economic soft landing. And as the Washington Post reminded us, the vast majority of experts overwhelmingly predicted a recession in 2023. But instead, we were very fortunate and blessed that growth picked up, inflation started cooling down, and... We added 2.5 million jobs, so that's great. Okay, the seventh thing I was going to list, I had actually forgotten about this, even though I remember at the time reading so many articles and worrying about it, but we avoided a banking crisis. If you remember, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank had a collapse, and the federal government stepped in, and then it helped prevent some other banks that people were worried about. So that was good news. One thing they didn't mention, and I probably should have researched, is with the post-COVID, a lot of companies not returning back to offices. There was, you know, a few months ago, some articles that the real estate, I guess, market could collapse. But if you've noticed, I haven't really seen anything on that for quite a while. And I remember part of why I didn't talk about that during that time, besides the fact that I typically avoid foreign policy or try to stay on foreign policy, is that a lot of the, if you got into the weeds on some of those articles, most of those real estate, I guess, debt or loans were held by financial institutions who generally, when this has happened in the past, there's been some type of softness in the market. They generally just extend out the terms because the banks don't want to own the buildings. They don't want to have to try to sell them. And generally, most of the people who own the large retail spots, I guess commercial buildings is actually the term I was looking for. They generally want to hang on to it as well. They just want to survive the rough spots. And so they're usually totally all about re-signing on their loans, extending them out, getting some breathing room because they want to stay commercial building owners. So anyway, I haven't heard anything about that lately. So that's good news. And then the final thing, apologies, I got a little tongue tied for a second. But the final thing is that Americans are finally traveling again. And I will bet you traveled as well. The uh, Washington Post said that the number of air passengers has finally, domestically and worldwide, is back to the pre-pandemic levels and even topped it some. And that this holiday season was on track. They still aren't done with all the numbers yet to be the second highest for travel ever. So that's huge. And that affects lots of jobs, especially in the service industry, hotels, restaurants, etc. So... Those are eight things that I hope help cheer you up a bit before we get into some news, but I definitely wanted to share those. All right, I forgot there was one other thing I wanted to mention before we get into the news, which is 
Part of why I do this show is that the media, I mention it at the beginning of every show, how bad the media does at covering foreign policy. And I wanted to share a couple of tweets that I saw, although technically it was on Blue Sky, so I think they call those skeets. But someone shared a post from The Economist that The Economist had shared. And The Economist in this very short little, and theirs might have been from Twitter, but uh, The Economist says, President Joe Biden is turning into an an unlikely wartime president. Can America handle two wars, two wars, and maybe a third? So that was the headline from The Economist. And you all know I'm actually a big fan of The Economist. But again, they say President Joe Biden is turning into an unlikely wartime president. Can America handle two wars and maybe a third? And at first you're like, okay, you know, you got, got Ukraine, you got Israel, Hamas. Okay, I kind of see where they're going with it. But if you really think about it, like that that's completely inaccurate. And so this person posts that and says, My current media pet peeve is describing Biden as a wartime president or America being in multiple wars. And then the person says, We're not in any wars, exclamation point. After a long time of being at war, now we are not. If you think about it, you would know this is absolutely true, despite what we constantly see especially on conservative media. There are no American troops in Ukraine. There are none in Israel. We are not in any wars right now. We have some troops in the Middle East. We have some situations happening with drones, but that stuff's been happening for years. And another person added, I'd love to see a poll. Does the U.S. have troops in Ukraine and or Israel right now? And then the person said, if you consume a certain type of clickbait media, you've been told that the Department of Defense is about to send troops to Ukraine like 20 times this year. It's kind of true, isn't it? And so, you know, just speaking from personal experience, after the initial attacks in Israel on October 7th, I had a friend, if you remember a few days later, President Biden gave an address. Someone reached out to me and they were like, man, we're at war. And I'm like, what do you mean we're at war? They're like, well, President Biden gave that address. We're sending that carrier group there. Like, you know, we're going in. We got hostages. And and I'm like, man, like, we're not at war. I'm like, I don't think we're sending any troops in. I'd be surprised. I'm like, now, I was obviously wrong about the ground invasion. Israel did do that. And they've taken fewer casualties than I expected. But I was like, I just, I seriously doubt we're sending troops in. So I tried to calm that person down. But we just, in America, we so easily jump to conclusions that are unfortunately often incorrect. And so just wanted to share that. That's what we try, or I hope to try to counter on a weekly basis is this, I mean, there's really no other way to say it. And I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, bang on the economist here because I actually think they're a great publication. And I don't even know that they're necessarily a clickbait type article. A lot of media does that. Obviously, that article was probably talking about building up our defense industry and can we help fund sending weapons to Israel, to Ukraine, and also potentially Taiwan, depending on how things were to go there. It's a legitimate fear. It's a you know a, a good question that needs to be asked, but 
again, it's just people who aren't as informed can take the wrong conclusion. So I hope that I can do my small part to help counter that. Now let's get into that news. And like I said, there is a lot to get into. So we'll just jump to the first story. Okay, so the first bit of news I'm not going to get too much into because we have too much to cover and it would just, it, you could start pulling this thread forever, but the U.S. military did get way more serious with some drone attacks against U.S. troops that are in Iraq and Syria. Katib or Katib Hezbollah, which is an Iranian bank, uh, Iranian backed or linked group launched some drones against U.S. troops. Several were wounded, and one U.S. troop was a U.S. service member was uh, seriously wounded. And so the U.S. did conduct some pretty serious airstrikes back. I've got in the Substack notes that you can get to a link to the Washington Post article. If you want to get into the weeds some about that attack, you can read that article for free, but as a reminder, we've got currently 3,500 U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria, and they're all there to help prevent a resurgence of the Islamic State, which of course is ISIS, which is that large group that was a pretty big deal in Syria and Iraq for a while. They were mostly defeated. There are still some small clusters that U.S. forces continue to operate against. I will say one odd thing about this story this is what I'm trying my best not to get into the weeds on this. But in a statement Tuesday, I'll just read you these two lines. In a statement Tuesday, Iraqi Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani condemned the drone attack and the U.S. response, which is a little odd because we're there at their request, but which he said killed one Iraqi service member and injured 18 others, including civilians. Hmm, Interesting. I'll continue. This quote, this constitutes a clear hostile act. It runs counter to the pursuit of enduring mutual interests in establishing security and stability, and it opposes the declared intention of the American side to enhance relations with Iraq. He said. <laughs> uh, so much that I could say. I don't know. I don't know why there was Iraqi troops there, or more than one, or at least one. I bet there's probably a reason we didn't tell him why we were doing that strike. Maybe. Maybe. Just throwing that out there. But maybe at some point I need to research that situation a little more, because it sounds like things aren't going that well between the leadership in Iraq and the U.S. at this point. But that has been an absolute mess ever since we invaded Iraq and, you know, established a democracy which has largely been pulled between Iranian interest and, like I said, I don't want to go down that roller coaster, take too long, and I'm trying to keep the uh, podcast a little shorter, but you can read the link and then go on Google and probably have a really fun time, so <laughs> research that until you're until you have got it figured out, and then you can email me and tell me what is going on there. So let's move to the next one. The next thing I want to mention, um, the U.S. did announce another aid package to Ukraine. This is like the final one. They are out of money, although negotiations are reportedly continuing between the Senate and the administration, but the latest one's a pretty small one, $250 million compared to some previous ones. 
It includes air defense capabilities, artillery, anti-tank weapons, other equipment. Uh, I'll name just a few of them. We've got some uh, missiles for their air defense system, some handheld Stinger air attack aircraft missiles, which are cool because that will help some of the troops that are that are being hit by Russian aircraft on the front lines. It's got some uh, components of an air defense system, which they don't go into the details of some of this, but as they have improved their air defense, all of these different uh, anti-aircraft weapons that have sectors, they have to communicate. You don't want everyone firing at the same thing. Also in the package were artillery shells, 155 millimeter, 105 millimeter. Ukraine was running low on both of those. There are tow missiles in it. Those are anti-tank weapons that are, have great range. There are also some Javelin, which is like medium-range anti-tank missiles, a little bit lighter. There's also some handheld AT-4 anti-tank systems, and those are like, I promise you, I fired these things. Those are absolute last-ditch weapons. You do not want to be the one firing an AT-4 at a tank, because by then they've gotten to within three or 400 meters, and the AT-4 has these like pop-out sights. They're literally plastic. You slide these two pieces of plastic, and sights will pop out. I don't know that they've ever been tested. They have limited range, and I know from firing them in, you know, live situations on at least practice range. We took them into Albania. We didn't fire any, but I wouldn't want to be firing one of those at a tank. That's just me. So those are absolute last-ditch weapon systems for anti-tank, although infantry sometimes use them to fire at bunkers that have been suppressed as you close the distance. Um, also in that package were 15 million small arms cartridges, some explosive ammunition for clearing obstacles, and then medical equipment, spare parts, maintenance, auxiliary equipment, stuff not named. So again, that was 250 million. That is the absolute last amount that has been authorized by Congress. So I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I had already written my two senators and congressmen asking them to support Ukraine aid. If you have not done so, not the worst thing you could do. It's a small way you could help remind them of how important this is and also remind them that 90% of that money stays in the U.S. We are mostly sending older equipment that's 30 to 40 years old that we were probably going to destroy anyway to a country that needs it, that was invaded by a horrific enemy that has, as I've said so many times, done so many horrible things from bombing cities, stealing kids, abducting them, murdering people, literally just murdering them, torturing people. So if you don't understand the threat from Russia, then I probably don't have time to convince you, but not the worst thing to send an email to your senators or congressmen if you haven't already done so. All right, the next story I wanted to get into was a little bit more in regards to a story that we initially covered last week, which is the, essentially it's an, an, a naval alliance that is going to help protect international trade, mostly in the area of the Red Sea. But I wanted to give an update on that, that the Pentagon released. Now, as a reminder, the name of that operation is called Operation Prosperity Guardian, and the press secretary of the Pentagon, Air Force General uh, Pat Ryder, gave an update to the media. He reminded people that this is important, that we've got 10 to 15 percent of all global shipping flowing through the Red Sea. And again, the attacks are happening 
by the uh, Houthis, which are an Iranian proxy group. And to date, so the new update is they have had 20 nations sign up to participate. They're continuing to try to grow that. Uh, General Ryder said, I'm going to read a few quotes from him. It's very important to understand that the Houthis aren't attacking just one country. They're really attacking the international community. They are attacking the economic well-being and prosperity of nations around the world. So, in effect, they have really become bandits along the international highway that is the Red Sea. Now, if you've never looked at a map, you've got Africa and you've got the Middle East, so a lot of ships go through the Red Sea into the Mediterranean Sea and and Europe. With it being under threat, a lot of ships were considering going all the way around Africa versus cutting through that little shortcut. And so, to help prevent the cost of goods going up dramatically... The U.S. is helping lead this effort. As I said last week, the U.S. is one of the only countries that is has the political capital and the, the you know a navy with the capabilities and the size to lead something like this. So General Ryder um, kind of used this analogy or expanded the analogy to say that the forces assigned to Operation Prosperity Guardian Guardian will serve as the highway patrol in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden to, quote, respond to and assist as necessary commercial vessels that are transiting this vital international waterway reach out or call for help. Ryder added that it's a defensive coalition meant to reassure global shipping and mariners that the international community is there to help with safe passage. Now, Ryder did explain that the distance, this is a large, wide area, and the distance is about the same distance that you would see if you went from Boston to Washington, D.C., so it does take a lot of countries. As I said last week, several were maybe offering one frigate or one destroyer, and they're trying to position these along the areas that the Houthis are are able to reach with their drones and ballistic missiles, which it's kind of crazy they even have ballistic missiles, but again, they are armed by Iran. I wanted to read the last quote from General Ryder, because I think there's a little bit of a warning in there, and I think the U.S. is reaching the end of its patience. Let me just read this, though. Let me see what you think. This is the quote from General Ryder, who again is the press secretary for the Pentagon. Quote, Last thing I'd say on this is that the Houthis need to stop these attacks, and they need to stop them now. That's clear and simple. They really need to ask themselves if they've bitten off more than they can chew when it comes to taking on the entire international community and negatively impacting billions and billions, billions of dollars in global trade, economic prosperity, and international law. Sounds like a warning to me. So, again, the Houthis are in a part of Yemen that went through a civil war. A lot of analysts have increasingly thought that the U.S. may strike some of those, I guess, elements of the Houthis in the part of Yemen. It's not like they would have to ask anybody's permission to go into basically uncontrolled and uncontested parts of Yemen to strike these groups. So 
I don't know, sort of sounds like a warning, but the problem with the Houthis is that like many insurgent and almost terrorist groups, as I said a couple of weeks ago, they're trying to get labeled as a terrorist group as the U.S. pushes for that. But you keep launching missiles and drones at just commercial tankers, you're going to get labeled a, a terrorist group or an international terrorist group. But there have, again, been more than a dozen drones and missiles that were fired, which were shot down by U.S. destroyers, and actually there was a fighter craft involved. I've got a link to that article if you want to read it. So a lot of these groups, they really only understand one thing, and that's force. So we'll see if in the coming days, maybe week or so, I dare say the Pentagon has probably drawn up some stuff. I dare say they have presented it to the Biden administration. And I know the U.S. doesn't want to escalate anything with Iran right now. But as I've said for several weeks, Iran doesn't want to escalate either. And I would say Iran will very quickly sell out the Houthis. So if I were sleeping in a Houthi camp tonight, I would would not sleep too easy. I would stay alert. There might be some uh, some Navy SEALs crawling up. There might be someone aiming laser designators. I don't know, but uh, I think they uh, they are they are on thin ice. Is is all I would say on that. Now this next item, it did make the news a little bit, but I definitely wanted to touch on it because I had, I think it was about two or three weeks ago, discussed that after China said that communication would begin be reestablished between China and the U.S., they hadn't done it. And so I was, you know, at least discussing the kind of two-way talk that China was doing. But this did kind of make the news, so I won't spend but a second on it. But finally, after weeks of delay, the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff actually talked with his Chinese counterpart Not a lot was said in what at least the U.S. military released about it. They, quote, discussed a range of global and regional security issues as Brown, General Brown, reaffirmed the importance of maintaining open open lines of military-to-military communications. So, one quote I did like from the summary is that General Brown discussed the importance of working together to responsibly manage competition avoid miscalculations, and maintain open and direct lines of communications. So, and then he went on to say that he wants to reduce the likelihood of misunderstandings, which, as a reminder, there have been 180, literally 180, coercive and or risky air intercepts against U.S. aircraft in the region of China, mostly around Taiwan, Taiwan, between 2021 and 2023. So in two years, 180. I mean, what is that like? One every three or four days, isn't it? That's the math off the top of my head. But that was more risky intercepts than there were in the past 10 years before that. So things have definitely heated up over there. And so I'm glad the President Biden has talked. I'm glad that the militaries have talked because it is a pretty tense situation. And, you know, one thing I've not gotten into in previous podcasts about that situation is that with the Soviet Union slash Russia, we had about 40 years of learning how the two countries would 
handle those risky situations. So we knew what the Soviets would do or the Russians now. With China, we really don't have that history. And so we instead of 40 years of past history and knowing their standard operating procedures with China, we've got, you know, less than 10 really. And they're a lot hotter in the past few years, but there's not a long history with China being in an almost adversarial position. So that obviously makes it far more risky every time two jets fly up near each other or there's some type of uh, intercept happening. So we will celebrate the progress. So I'm glad that they talked. Now, one other U.S. news thing that I definitely wanted to get into before we get to some news about Ukraine is that the Pentagon was saying that the military recruiting situation is looking up. I had discussed that in a previous episode. 2023 was obviously hard since only the Marine Corps and only Space Force actually hit their goals. So a couple of interesting things from that article that I did want to just briefly mention. First thing is that only 23% of young people between the ages of 17 and 24 even qualify to join the military. And according to that news release, and I don't doubt this for a second, even fewer than that of the 23% have expressed the, quote, propensity in some of the polling they've done, but even the propensity or the possibility of deciding to enlist. So a lot of them don't even want to. One other thing, and I hadn't thought about this, is that the military is in, is smaller and it's in fewer places. So many young people do not know anyone who has enlisted or has served. And so if they don't see these service members or hear about it, they're less likely to think of that as an option. Now, obviously, I've talked in some previous episodes about how damaging it is when anyone on the left or right attacks the military or I know some of the cultural war stuff has been hot button the past year or two, but the reality is, is like we need a first rate, top of the line military that's of all volunteer force. That's like a, I mean, I don't even need to explain why that's important. And so anytime anyone does anything that puts that at risk, I get very frustrated. Now, a couple of things that the military is trying to do to make 2024 a better year is they are trying, the Army is going to try to help recruits qualify for enlistment. So they'll work with juniors and seniors that are potential enlistees and try to get them basically in shape good enough to even join. As we know, some of the young folks, they like the computer games and they're not in the level of physical fitness, even in the realm of where they need to be so that the Army can train them. One other thing that the Air Force mentioned as I read through some of the notes on that article is that uh, they're going to have some aviation camps where young people can experience what aviation jobs might be out there and maybe get interested. So I definitely hope 2024 gets a little better because, you know, not only do we need a good military, but when demand is low, it costs more to have the military we have because you got to have these big enlistment bonuses just to enlist or to re-enlist. And so all that stuff adds to the cost. So we need a good military. I always try to do my best to support it and to walk the company line, so to speak. Although I'm also, when the military is, when the military messes up, you guys who've listened for a while know I will call them out. But you know, honestly, I've said before, like, the military did a lot for me. And so I do think it's a good opportunity 
And it's just frustrating that this amazing thing that, especially with young people, not as used to, I guess, sacrificing, serving others. The military is such a great opportunity to teach so many lessons. So I really do, not to beat a dead horse, but I really do care a lot about it. And it frustrates me when it gets attacked. And of course, weirdly, as I've said in the past, year or two it's mostly getting attacked by the on the right for being too woke or this or that but and as i've said the frustrating thing about that is that many of those who serve i don't know what percentage are conservative but it's probably 70 percent or 80 certainly was when i was in so the if you get the people on the right to not re, i don't want to say not respect but to think that it's too woke and not want to send their sons or daughters well that's where a lot of the recruiting capability lies is on the right so it's it's frustrating but i don't want to get too into the political stuff but let's talk up the military it's a great opportunity and let's not let's not make things worse than it already is all right so let's get to some ukraine news and there's really two pretty big items that have happened since last week both of which are huge pieces of news, just great news for Ukraine. And honestly, both of them are kind of almost unbelievable, but very well documented. So I'm not in any way trying to say that these items are doubtful or that I'm skeptical. They're absolutely both confirmed. But what I'm saying is that they're just like such good news for Ukraine that it's like, wow, how could it possibly be this good? So I'll begin with with what is probably the biggest one but I almost, I was kind of debating as to which was the bigger piece of news. But we will begin with this one, because I really couldn't make my mind up. But Ukraine managed to sink another Russian ship. Uh, this one was a Russian tank landing ship. I've got in the source notes an article from CNN, as well as a free Washington Post article, GIF link, which has the map on where that Crimean port is. because. It's hard to explain just by video, but the Crimean Peninsula is to the south of Ukraine. It's Russian-occupied, so Russia takes it. Initially, Russia was using ports on the western side, which were near Ukraine, which were able to influence places like Odessa and other parts of Ukraine along the coast. As Ukraine began to push back the Russian Navy, sinking ships with sea drones and anti-ship missiles that were fired from Ukraine, Russia moved its fleet from basically the coast that was nearest Ukraine to the other side of Russian-occupied Crimea, and some of its fleet even went all the way back to Russia. So this ship was on the far side of the Crimean Peninsula, which is basically a circle. It was on the far side, and it appears that Ukraine likely used attack missiles from the United Kingdom that were provided, storm shadows, which were launched probably from Ukraine aircraft. And so these missiles flew a long way across the entire Crimean Peninsula, across the Russian-occupied land even before that, and apparently came in and hit the ship without Russian air defenses being able to either know the missiles were coming or to defend themselves in any way. So if you want to see a map of what I very poorly described... Go to the 
to the uh, details. I've got, like I said, a GIF link in the Substack of notes. I've also got there now initially because Russia lies about everything. And I try not to say the word lies too often for people who make misstatements or statements that aren't quite true. But Russia seems to have crossed any threshold I have for granting them any kind of grace at all. And so I'm going to use the word lies. But initially Russia lied and said the ship was lightly damaged. How foolish can you be? There were were all these videos on social media of massive explosions and even larger secondary explosions. This ship was clearly carrying a lot of ammunition. And so there were all these videos of this horrendously large explosion. Anyone who saw that was like, there's no way it's lightly damaged. But Russia puts this lie out. And the craziest thing about the lie is that there's satellite imagery of every inch of the earth now, and especially places in Ukraine. And so the very next day, once the clouds cleared, you can see what happened. And the ship is literally in the bottom of the ocean, the bottom of the port. It's sitting on the bottom. (laughs) And so I've got video of that satellite imagery, which someone put up, thankfully. Free link to that as well. You can go look before, (laughs) ship up, after, ship down. I don't even know why anyone quotes Russian spokespeople anymore because nothing they say is any anywhere near accurate. But So, first big piece of news for Ukraine. They sunk another ship in Russian-occupied Crimea. I don't know how many ships are left there, if many at all. And we could go through that exhaustive list of subs and other ships that have been damaged, including their flagship, which was sunk. But... I've done all that in past episodes. You can easily research that. Ukraine clearly controls the sea now south of Ukraine. And increasingly around the Russian-occupied Crimea, as as the Russian Navy just is almost defenseless, it appears, for many of these attacks. Now, the second piece of thing, you got to say, now what could possibly compare to that, Stan? Why would you hesitate? What What could even come close? To measure into that. How about this? Ukraine shot down five Russian planes in a three-day kill streak, as I believe it was the New York Times and that or no business insider called it a three-day kill streak. I didn't put a link to the New York Times because I didn't have the uh, GIF link to that. But so this story emerged over a number of days. And what's interesting is <laughs> The U.S. recently provided another Patriot battery to Ukraine. And we're not sure if that was this one or not, but as I said last week, or maybe it was the week prior, Ukrainian Marines have established a toehold on the eastern bank of the Dnipro River. So they've been pushing toward Kherson, which is on its way toward the Crimean Peninsula, which is Russian-occupied. So they control part of Kherson, but they don't control it all. And they've established this big foothold, multiple kilometers in. As I said last week, some Ukrainian troops say, oh, this is horrible, we're being bombed. And I talked about how Russian planes would drop these glider missiles and bombs from almost like 50 kilometers away. And so the Ukrainian troops were defenseless to this because these Russian aircraft would fly in, drop these missiles 
from so far away that the Ukrainians could basically could do nothing. Now, the Ukrainians had pushed them back a little further than they were. They were firing at like 30 kilometers away. They moved them back so the missiles were less accurate. But still, if you're a Ukrainian Marine dug in, wet, soggy, marshland, it's not fun to get shot at by something that you can't fire back at. And so, most analysts speculate that a new Patriot battery was installed toward that area. Now, that Patriot battery has a range of 160 kilometers, and the missiles that the Russians were using have a a range of about 50 kilometers. So, the Patriots would shoot up from the ground. It's a U.S.-based system, which is great. It's been almost infamous since the first uh, war in Iraq, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, when these Patriot missiles would fire and shoot down Scud missiles pretty easily. It was new technology back then, but it has been way improved. And so they have this missile, Patriot missile system that they apparently pushed closer toward the front line, which has a long range. And clearly, it was a a, a smart move. The Russians must have had no idea what happened. It was happening. And so this Patriot missile system just has, you know, it just fills its bag limit for several days. So they shoot down five planes. And since that happened, the Ukrainian troops have not been being bombed at all. So, huge win for Ukraine. And so this might help them expand or at least reinforce their toehold or at least make it easier for those Marines that are down there. But that's pretty big news for Ukraine, that they were able to further push that Russian air power back some. So again, Ukraine, story one, they sink a ship. On the far side of the Ukrainian or of the uh, Crimean Peninsula, which is Russian occupied, so they they sink a ship there, and now they've pushed back Russian air power even further. Again, these are big things. Now there was a story that Russia took a very small, irrelevant town. Russia continues to just push hundreds of bodies of foot soldiers into a meat grinder like offensive they've made very small advances they are paying for every single yard that they take and uh it's i don't really understand what their strategy is at this point but they are it's not been a good week for russia one ship five planes air power pushed back hundreds, and that is no exaggeration, hundreds if not probably more than a thousand plus Russian troops killed on some of these ground attacks. You can easily find videos of all of this. Now in the Substack notes, I will put one of the analysts that is on uh, Twitter that's pretty good, or X as it's called now, although I will continue to call it Twitter, put in a map that gives you kind of an idea of the ranges of what that Patriot battery would have and the ranges of what these Russian aircraft would have, and also even approximate locations of where they were shot down. If you really want to get in the weeds, it's a pretty cool place that uh, you can go in the Substack notes and see that. And they also go into the weeds a bit about how this happened, the time it took, the fighters, just kind of into some of the details. So pretty cool stuff if you want to check it out. Going to do one more story about China. We're going to do an update on that story from last week where the Spratly Islands, which are claimed by the Philippines, a treaty partner of the U.S., and also claimed by China. I mentioned that ship collision. I want to do an update on that story, and then we'll get into the motivation and wisdom section. 
But before we do that, got to do a quick little commercial for the show. If you love what you're listening to, you want to support, there is a way you can support the show. Obviously, we don't have ads or anything like that. But you can help support the show by signing up for $5 per month. You can subscribe either through Substack or Patreon. You can find those details in the uh, source notes, but no pressure to do that. Just if you want to help, it would definitely help. And maybe I can spend more time and make the show better. I'm just like almost everyone listening, working a full-time job. So this is something that's kind of a hobby and a calling and that I would like to grow into something bigger. One day at a time, though, right? I do appreciate all those who have subscribed, and as I try to say every week, you can come and go as you please. I don't keep up when people leave, so... It's partly because, you know, I'm an optimist. I don't like bad news, so I get a notification if someone signs up. But I have the notification set up so that when you leave, I don't know, because I don't want to know. Because it's not... I had them on for a while, and it's not cool if someone leaves, because you're like, ah, it's going to pieces. And in my mind, everything's worst case anyway. And so, like, if one person were to unsubscribe, despite the fact that I have many subscribers, I'm like, oh, and then I worry about, like, what did I do wrong the last show? Did I fumble too many words? Did I say something stupid? Did I offend someone? I try my best not to offend people. No one overthinks things more than me. I promise you that. So, but again, you can come and go as you please. I appreciate everyone's support. So let's get to that China story. Let me get my notes pulled up here. Okay, so as a reminder, last week we talked about how there was a collision and one of China's Coast Guard ships in a, quote, unprecedented escalation collided with a resupply small convoy from the Philippines, which again, we've had a mutual defense treaty with for 70 years. It goes back to 1951. So this was kind of a big deal. As I said back last week, it's kind of like Fort Sumter, which helped start the Civil War in the U.S. I mean, if you can't resupply an outpost, you know, you're you're pretty quickly going to end up in a conflict. So I I definitely wanted to update that story. And you would think there would be dozens of articles. Maybe CNN and the others would finally get in the act and cover this story. And... There's nothing. There is, I, 10 minutes before the show, looked everywhere I could for news. Nothing. Halfway through the show, I had to take a break. I'm like, yeah, let me check, make sure. Nothing. No stories. No articles. No news. Nothing. And the crazy thing is, is as I said last week, the Pentagon itself did a briefing released a press release. The Pentagon, this bastion of secrecy, this, you pesky reporters, don't bother us, put out a news release like, hey guys, something's going on with like this treaty partner of ours with China. Might want to cover it. Might want to pay attention. But no, we got Christmas coverage and Taylor and Travis Kelsey and everything but anything that matters. So I did some more research on it just to get a better idea of what's going on. Now, maybe that convoy that did get through, thankfully, got enough supplies there that this won't be an issue for a month or two or longer. I'm not sure. Maybe there was some type of, you know, compromise reached through, like, the U.S. State Department 
negotiating something with China. Maybe there was a backroom deal. Like, hey, you guys seriously got to let off because we announced it to the public. And, like, if you mess around again, we're going to move a U.S. ship down there, which I don't believe a U.S. ship has been in that area since the last article I saw was, like, July-ish. So we haven't sent a U.S. ship down there in a while, even though it is an international uh, zone. So it's they're allowed there. China always gets mad when we send ships down there. Again, it's claimed these Spratly Islands are claimed, or this particular one is claimed by the Philippines and by China, clearly. But I did some more research on it, and I'm like, why are these so important? And I need to somehow get across to people why they're so important as a way of trying to inform my audience a little better. So this is just some information I found with some quick research. So I'll read a couple of things. Although not large, these small islands and and uh, tolls, but although not large, reserves of oil and nat- natural gas have been found in the area. It's also a commercial fishing ground. Most importantly, though, it's close to global shipping routes. So its strategic position allows countries to monitor maritime activities in the area and project military power. So there are several islands in the Spratly Islands. And I was a little shocked as I dug more into it by the number of countries that claim them. And this information is coming from the CIA World Factbook, which is, of course, something they publicly put out as a way to try to encourage people to get more involved in foreign policy and all. So a couple of them are claimed by Vietnam. One of them is claimed by the Philippines. One of them is claimed by Taiwan. And then, of course, China is claiming some of them. So all of these countries have small military outposts on them. They are used for observation, but they could easily be expanded to include, you know, anti-ship missiles, anti-air missiles. You could add some troops. If you wanted to dredge them enough, add enough, you know, if you wanted to build them up enough, you could probably try to put smaller airstrips on there. But that's why they're so important. But again, nothing, absolutely nothing on this since last week. So this is one of those frustrating things when you're trying to cover the news that it's it's frustrating that there's nothing out there. But I looked high and low. There's nothing. (laughs) I found one article um, on NHK, not even a thousand percent sure of the validity of it, but it involved like another bit of news that basically it barely even talked about what happened a week ago. But nothing's happened in the past week that made the news. So I don't know. Maybe that's something that the Air Force general talked to the the leader of China about. I don't know. I don't think it came up during that phone call. I'd, l- I'd like to think it did, but I don't think they're even to that point. So this is one of those deals where it's just that continued level of friction and lack of communication between China, America, the Philippines, and a lot of those countries there where there's just a lot of uncertainty, and that leads to increased tension and increased chances of something happening. So I will say as I was studying the area after not finding any news, I really wanted to get a better idea exactly where the islands are, even better than I knew last week. Look at who claimed what, what zones, what's the economic zones, what's the international sea lanes, etc. And it does seem to me that, you know, a lot of 
the West and the analysts have been worried about an invasion of Taiwan by China or cutting off Taiwan. But if you look at it, it just seems to me like these islands or some of the smaller things will be more likely flashpoints because it's not like you're going up to the brink of attacking or invading Taiwan. It's, hey, we're fighting over these reefs, literally reefs or small islands that have very... I mean, we're talking, some of them are like two to four kilometers in size. They're very small. You could barely put a neighborhood in there. And so it's it would be easy to create some type of friction or conflict around these areas. And most people in America who have no idea even where the Philippines are, much less where the Spratly Islands are, would probably shrug and say, ah, who cares? Let China have them or why are we getting involved there? And so that I think is something that China could try to continue to exert their influence in the coming months and year or so ahead. So we'll keep an eye on it. If something breaks on it, I definitely will cover it. As I've said before, another reason to sign up for the Substack, and again, this is just, you can do it for free, but if anything big breaks, I have in the past couple of years I've been doing this. If something big happens, I start just shooting out emails. I don't always have time to record the podcast But if you want to stay in the know, there's worse things to be signed up for than a free email from me. So definitely do that if you haven't already done that. All right, so let's go from there. Let's go to the motivation and wisdom section, which is, according to some people, the best part of the show. And I don't even know if I disagree. Definitely one of my best favorite things to do. All right, so this is the motivation and wisdom section. I share these every week because I think all of us could use a few words of encouragement. And let's be honest here, you matter. You are influencing everyone who's around you. And all of them, I believe, could basically benefit from a little bit of increased volume or awesomeness from you. Your kids, your spouse, your friends, your co-workers... The goal is to infect all of these folks around you with a little bit more energy, a little bit more life, a little bit more love. I think you guys can do this. So let's start with the first one. Get it pulled up here in my notes. This is a good one. Success doesn't lead to happiness. It's the other way. Happiness leads to success. It's only when you love what you are doing that you have any shot at succeeding. It's pretty good. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Next one is, your best teacher is your last mistake. It's a pretty good one. All right, here we go. If you think, here's the next one. If you think big, believe big, act big then the results will be big. It's a good one. You know, speaking of that, I put this on social media the other day, but uh, I got this little, I think it's called Wrapped Podcast, Wrapped by Spotify. And it said, uh, you are international. And I think it was uh, Denmark, I believe. I should have, obviously I'm spitballing here and should have had this saved. But I got to be honest, like, like, in your mind, you know that a podcast is, quote, international, but it doesn't really hit you that, like, someone outside of the United States might actually listen. And so 
to see those numbers, and I'm sure it's because I cover Ukraine, but it was like mind-blowing that people literally that I'm potentially looking at right now are in Denmark or other parts of Europe listening to this guy who's just a, a nobody from East Tennessee in the southern part of the United States. Like, when you think about that, it's kind of like mind-blowing, you know? It's like, I'm honored. I'm beyond honored, guys. But it's it, it's just like that saying, if you think big, believe big, and act big, then the results will be big. Not that my results have been big yet or anything like that, but I did go into this thinking big. I wanted to create a show that... I don't know. People always say I aim high, but so I guess for me it's kind of natural, but all right, I'm struggling to figure out the best way to move on from that because it still blows my mind that people outside the United States could be listening to this. Although I think I, I knew and wanted military service members. I, I know how lonely I felt in Okinawa. I guess lonely isn't exactly the word. I, I did feel lonely. I felt a lot of distance from my family and friends, but I mean, I'm I had all my Marine buddies, but uh, I felt, I guess, disconnected is the word I wanted to use. So I thought, I did imagine that like this podcast would reach service members and help give them a little bit of back home, so to speak, while they were gone. But it still blows my mind to think that someone in uh, Denmark or in their other countries listed, but the people there are listening. But all right, here's the next one. A man is great, not because he hasn't failed. A man is great because failure hasn't stopped him. And that is a quote from Confucius. All right, here's another good one. Self-belief propels one to action. Action leads to progress. Progress builds confidence. Confidence reinforces self-belief. This sets consistent long-term discipline in motion for a grander or larger achievement. That's a good one, isn't it? I'm going to read it one more time. So self-belief. So you got to believe in yourself propels one to action. So then you take some steps. Actions lead to progress. So you take some steps, you probably get knocked back a little bit, but you begin to make progress. As you make progress, progress builds confidence, right? Obviously. Confidence reinforces self-belief. And this all creates long-term discipline and puts it in motion for a grander achievement. It's pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. All right, I'd like to read a few from the Bible. All right, here we go. The first one is from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 27. He who earnestly seeks good finds favor. Pretty good. He who earnestly seeks good finds favor. All right, here's the next one. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Should have said this was from Psalms chapter 63, verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Let's do two more. I will say, I'm thinking about reconfiguring the motivation and wisdom section a bit so that after I read some motivational stuff each week, I think I'm going to have like topics next year as a goal. So like maybe one of them is about doubt and then boom, boom, boom. So any of the scripture I read will be about doubt. Maybe the next section will be, I don't know, whatever those are. Thinking about it. All right. So here's the next one from Romans 
chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, it is may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the next one. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. That's from Psalms chapter 17, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. I will say that um, for those who don't know, I have a complicated past with Christianity and moved away from it for part of my life and spent some time even almost like five years studying Chan Buddhism. I've read part of the Quran. I know the five pillars of Islam. I, like I said, when you have a complicated past with Christianity, you study all the religions because you're trying to find what's right for you. And then obviously restarted my faith journey about a year ago. But I did want to mention that if any of the faith stuff interests you at all, I'm obviously not a very pushy person, but I do have a faith journey kind of blog, you might say, but it's basically another substack that I just talk about my faith journey. And obviously, if you're interested in that, I'll put a link on that to that in the substack notes so that you can find it. I've actually got a, the reason I bring this up is I've got a post I'm dropping probably tomorrow, maybe Friday. I'm mostly got it written, but I, I talk about how like all the all the ways that the Bible has strengthened me this past year. It's hard to hard to explain, and I'm certainly not going to try to in ten or fifteen seconds. But I'm just saying that if you want to sign up for that, you can read more about that in depth. So, since that one verse mentioned basically strength and hope and all that, I thought I would mention that. So, there you go. I mentioned it, and I will put a I will put a link in the notes. Okay, as you long-term listeners know, I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I think that's a great goal to have. As I like to say, regardless, actually this will be the first time I say it, but I've always kind of hinted to it, but regardless of your faith, be a decent human being, love your neighbor as you love yourself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So, Thanks for joining us on this episode. I hope you are proud of our great country. I know it's not perfect, but I still am very proud of it, and I hope you are too. As you go through this week, remember it is very easy to be divisive, to argue with people about politics. So anyone can do that. Most people do. But I want to challenge you to be a unifier. I want to challenge you to show love. If someone says something political that offends you, Just let it go. You're not going to change someone's mind, so instead show them love. Ask them how their family is doing. Ask them if there's anything you can do for them. You can even say, I love you, brother, and we may not agree, but is there anything I can do for you? Because only love is going to lead us out of this division and into some form of unity. Only kindness is going to put out the fire of hatred. So my challenge to you is be, a, be like a wet blanket. When their fire is raging hot, you wrap it up, you help put it out, you help lower their temperature. 
so often on social media, most people just name call or they re-escalate or they're like, you're an idiot or go read this link. It doesn't work. It hasn't been working for five years, six years, eight years, ever how long all the social media mess has been happening. You got to be the opposite of that. So show them that someone from the other side isn't some horrific person that wants to end their way of life. That's all they hear all day long on TV and radio. So don't be like that. Remember that most Americans are good. And then I like to finish with just a word or two about those struggling with PTSD. So, as I say every week, veterans are 57% higher risk of suicide than their peers at the same age of those who haven't served. But I also know that it affects more than just veterans. We get, all can get in some really low spots in your life. So just remember it's a season. It's just a valley. If you're having serious issues, call 988. Select 1. Again, it's call 988. I can't talk. Does it sound like it's 1130 at night and I'm tired? Because that's what it is. Call 988 and select 1. Or you can text 838-255. You can talk to a Veterans Crisis Line responder anytime, day, or night. So normally at this point, I go into this long spiel about PTSD, those who are having negative thoughts. But frankly, it's 1130 and I've got about an hour of editing to do. And my wife is probably on the verge of thinking about killing me at this point anyway. So if you're seriously having any issues, check out last week's episode toward the end or the week prior. I go really into the weeds and I bet there's a message in there that can reach you. I hope it can. That's what I want to do. I just don't, unfortunately, have the time to do that. So I'm, as I say every week, though, don't you dare give up. You matter. And I usually probably break every rule in the book about talking to someone who does PTSD. But I, I do say, and I'm not afraid to say, to not make your family plan your funeral. It's freaking horrible. Don't be that person. Don't. Don't make them feel guilty that they didn't reach out to you or that they couldn't reach you. So do not do that. It's just the devil trying to wear you down. If you have any issues, seriously check out last week or the week prior. I talk about it every week. If you're doing well, I've got another challenge for you. Reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a while, especially if they're a military vet. There's a good chance they're hurting, even if they say they're good. And I like to remind people that it says in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes, that a person alone can be attacked and defeated. Two can stand back to back and conquer. And then it goes on to say that three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So just as that verse says, we all serve as the hands of God. If you're doing well in life, reach out to someone, check on them. If you're struggling, again, you can listen to previous episodes, the last two especially, or you can call the Veterans Crisis line, 988, select one, 988, select one. I always say, or you can fall to your knees, reach out to God. You can find Bible apps. God wants to talk to you. I promise you. He's probably been trying to run you down. All right, so... As a final reminder, you can reach out to me anytime. I try to put this in every weekend, but my email, easy to find, authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. Again, authorstanrmitchell at yahoo.com. You can find it in the source notes. You can say hi. You can vent. You can send news tips. 
You can say, hey, I'm from Denmark and I'm one of the people you saw. <laughs> that would make my day. Uh, I love all you guys, but never forget that God loves you more. I will catch you next week. You've been listening to The View from the Front. My name is Stan, and I am out. See you guys.